Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Josh Brown, I don't mean to alarm you, but Epic's Rumbleverse is shutting down in February. Scott Salford, Go you're going to... Well, one... <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> Two. Rumble in peace. What is Rumbleverse? Could you <laughs> please tell me more about this? Well, so I should first say that this is the wind-up. I'm Scott Tilford, George Josh Brown. Good morning, Scott Tilford. Good morning. We also go through the latest video games, the latest talking points, the latest news and happenings in the gaming industry. And we are going to get to the latest video games because there are actual video games now. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? There's like multiple ones. I spent my entire weekend playing a bit of the old Dead Space, a bit of the old Forspoken. And a bit of the old... And a bit of the old Hi-Fi Rush. There we go. Um, as well as trying to mop up Persona 5 because I'm an ill man. But We'll get there. We'll hey, probably do what? We all knew that after you said you bought Forspoken. We I, all knew it. The illness was implied. I just needed to know. I always, I'm always that person who just needs to know for themselves. And the more I saw of Forspoken, a lot of people sharing uh, combat clips, a lot of people saying it gets a lot better, a lot of people saying it's been misrepresented, that those little clips that are doing the rounds aren't indicative of the entire script. And then I watched um, Jeff Gersman of X Giant Bomb fame play through the first couple hours. And I was like, this looks all right. <laughs> this actually looks okay. I'm going to have to try and find out for myself. Um, and so I traded in Splatoon Three oh, and no. uh, Mario Strikers Battle League. Get them out. Get them away from me because I want. I wanted Forspoken in my life. So we'll get to that. And um, I thought we'd do a bunch of new stuff first. And uh, I just want. I wanted to open on a general conversation of the amount of live service things shutting down right now because Rumbleverse is shutting down in February. It just came out in August um, after um, a couple of different playtests and stuff. And Rumbleverse was in theory the next Fortnite. It was the next thing from Epic Games. It was a more wrestling themed battle royale, um, which played pretty well. You could um, do lots of melee attacks. You could grab opponents do giant spinning pile drivers off the top of rooftops and everything and it was cool it was a cool idea but it's shutting down in february um, and this also comes after the news of avengers shutting down in september babylon's fall shutting down i think in march and chocobo gp also shutting down just live service stuff man if let me it ask you a question on, it's done let me ask you a question ask Scott away. when something has come out and build itself as the next X as the next <laughs> Has it ever been Overwatch that? as the next <laughs> Fortnite. Has it ever lasted more than a year? Oh two years? Because it, it's never, and I, no. I guarantee it has never actually become the next whatever. It's never been that successful. No, true. But has it even ever been has has is there an example of something that has been successful in its old, own own right? I don't think so. Battleborn, dead. <laughs> Rumbleverse, dead. You know, hyperscape. Dead. All Very of these dead. games in the graveyard, in the live service graveyard, the mm. worst graveyard of all, the most <laughs> run-down graveyard, the most um, ill sort of... It's ill, all right? Yeah. It certainly is Sick graveyard place. of all. It's, it's, it's no surprise to me personally no. that all of these games are dying because they were so blatantly trying to either be something else mm. that people were already invested in and loved mm -hmm. or had no unique ideas of their own mm -hmm. and again pose the question of well, why would I play this when I already enjoyed that <laughs> you know well, it's also like that idea of like constantly monetizing you month after month after month like Avengers had a character specific battle pass like there were like six battle passes or whatever in that game and I feel like that general we kind of know now like there was the grand experiment of like okay can we live service everything and I feel like a lot of AAA devs oh, sorry it might be more on the publisher side were like okay how do we make how do we make this thing into a premium currency? How do we make this thing work month in, month out? And now that we're on the other side of that, on like, let's say five, six years of experimentation with live service models, the vast majority haven't worked. It's only really Fortnite, PUBG, mostly Fortnite is like the only real one yeah. that is a soaring success in this regard. There are obviously things like Warframe, but in terms of the, the level of return that they want um, and the way that it's perceived, like Fortnite is quite positively received, even yes. though initially it was like, oh my God, everything's in Fortnite. Now it's just a staple of the industry. Well, I mean, I'm certainly not 
not the first person to say this. It mm. was probably Stephanie Sterling or someone who said it first. But all of these games come out, all of these live service games come out and are designed to, like you said there, occupy all of your time. Yes. They want to be the only game that you ever play. So they incentivize <laughs> you to come back daily, do the grind, you know, partake in all of their challenges. It's a job. It's, it's a second it's job. It's another job. And you only have time for one second job after work in the <laughs> video game realm. So Especially it's no when you got wonder. Spoken, mate. <laughs> Especially when you got, you got things to get around to. And Dead Space 3 to play. Yeah. Uh, but the point is, obviously, like all of these games are vying to be the one game that you play. Yes. And if they are not the one game that you play, they die instantly because not enough people are playing to support it. It gets no new content. The servers are shut off. And it's like, that's not a healthy way to create a video game. That is literally all or nothing. It's literally. either you find a fan base who plays this every day, all of the time. It mm-hmm. becomes their main game or you die. <laughs> and it's like you can have that like passionate community who want to support something. No Man's Sky has it, even though that game doesn't have monetization, uh, monetary, mo- what the hell, monetization models inside it. People go. are screaming to give Hello Games more money, though. Um, that is a passionate community. It's not the overall mainstream. The, the, the problem seems to come with attempting to monetize the mainstream, yeah. attempting to monetize the casual gamer as if everything can be a Fortnite. And then they immediately fall down. And for whatever reason, whatever metrics they're using to measure that success and satisfaction, they just must look at the amount of player data and just, I mean, Babylon's Fall, it was like one person was playing that, literally, um, across the start of this year. And so it was that idea of looking at the raw data, assumedly night on night and going, this is never going to get there. Yeah. And even on day one, they almost immediately know it's not going to be there. You know, and just canning it. Fortnite gets a lot of crap and perhaps mm. rightly so in a lot of ways, but that's the only game, the only live service game that I can think of apart from maybe Destiny or something. Right, Destiny's a good job. That really feels like it's lived up to the concept of being an ever-changing, persistent thing. Like, mm. I don't play Fortnite, but I'm jealous of the people who do. I'm jealous of Dan <laughs> Dirk and James Douse jumping on and experiencing all of the different events and all of these different seasons. Mm. They might not all be good. Some of the concerts might be dystopian to watch from afar. <laughs> but the fact is, like, that is something that rewards you for putting time into mm-hmm. it. It's something that constantly changes, constantly is giving you new well, tweaks, new content, and reasons to play it, unlike the Avengers, which was just kind of like, he's our roadmap you might get one hero in the next six months who might not have any story missions like keep playing every day well the thing is the key word is live like mm. Fortnite feels alive there are literal live events where you can go and cross over with all your friends and, and, and I love that feeling I, I do love this in Fortnite and certain other games have done it where an event happens in real time and whoever's logged on at that time sees it in real time like that whole thing that Fortnite did and I didn't play this myself but I saw the footage of it when um, they had like a, an invader come like, across the sky and it was like the sky itself was fracturing it's like that's so cool yeah. to like try and just have a game of a battle royale and something's happening all around you and then those giant kaiju fights that they've done or maybe like different Marvel characters appear or whatever it is the fact that they are having literal live events gives it a sense of it being a live platform something to check in on which I mean I remember the in the run up to the Avengers um, that idea of it being a live service that idea of it being you know maybe a crime happens in a city and if, yeah. you're, if you're logged in your Iron Man can respond to that and like I think some of that just kind of came from the fan response to the idea of a live service Avengers game and I, clearly that's not what they were building, but that's what it needs to be if it's going to be a live service. Live service or did, can't just mean premium currency that we put no. money into to no real end or anything. I mean, what was Avengers' response to trying to keep people playing? It was to make the grind more grindy <laughs> and then sell your XP boosts. Thanks a lot. I mean, to echo what you said there, I remember yeah. doing videos with you and you and Parson yes. at the time was a big advocate of the idea of what you mentioned there. A live service Avengers game would be awesome if you had an open space and you logged on and the next season's event would be like, similar to Fortnite, funnily enough, Galactus has attacked. There's a new supervillain in town with a whole story thread tied to that villain. It's a reason to jump back into the world, the story content, there's new missions, new enemies, whatever. Like, (laughs) a live service superhero game should be the, not the easiest thing in the world to do, but the most kind of, like immediate thing to yes. do. The, the the most no-brainer in terms of the amount of concepts that are at your fingertips. And then the Avengers, like I said, just said, do you want some XP boots? Do you want, <laughs> do you want, do you want, do you want some like cosmetic um, upgrades that make your horrible looking characters even more <laughs> garish to look at. No, Do you want I don't. You, uh, rib cage for Hulk? Yeah. Like a, a premium one of them? I think, yeah, I think it's it, like that whole idea of like a live service Avengers thing, that idea of, you know, if maybe if you're in the city, you're in the version of New York at that time and you see Galactus's invasion and you end up messaging your friends in real life going, I actually need some backup. Um, could you help me on this mission or something? That's a, that, that, that was kind of the idea of the game that we had kind of going in or like that, what the idea 
over live service Avengers connoted. And obviously the reality of it was nothing like that. No. It was just a series of arena combat fights over and over and over again um, with different XP boosts and stuff like that. So yeah, it was just to, just to say that we're going through a bit of a thing right now with live service stuff. And a lot of the companies that set these things in motion are realizing that they're all failing. Um, and you would hope that they learn from that going forward because I feel like 2017 was the worst of it for microtransactions. And then we had a little bit of a shift into battle passes because there was so much backlash against um, loot boxes and microtransactions. And so I think think a lot of publishers went, okay, you guys don't want this. Let's monetize through battle passes. Let's yeah. monetize through quote unquote live services and let's segment out the, the whole and spread it across a, f- a few months. At least you'll stick around for that and we can monetize that. But now that hasn't worked either. No. So it's like, it's clear that the unit cost is the way to go. Like an actual just one-off purchase. And that's an issue for me as well. You know, I, I quite like battle passes as a reason for encouraging you to jump mm. back into a game to get more unlocks, to get skins, weapons, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that can't be the backbone of your live service. If that's all you've got yeah. to encourage people to return to your game, it's a start, mm-hmm. but it's not the be-all and end-all. Like, what people want, I would argue, are those unique events, are those changes to the core gameplay or environments or whatever, mm-hmm. those additions to the literal world that you're occupying, not just yet another um, in a long line of upgrade trees or unlock trees <laughs> or anything like that. Like, battle, battle Pass, like I said, that's the start. That's, that's, that's the first thing you do, and then you actually add proper content on top of it to Literally. keep people around. Like, yeah, and it needs to be worthwhile stuff as well. Like, not just like, oh, what, what can we possibly segment out? Okay, it's a bunch of gun charms yeah. that we're going to charge you five pounds for or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, that was just a quick note on that. In terms of actual new stuff, uh, The Hollywood Reporter is reporting that there's going to be a new Tomb Raider shared universe as just all the words you could combine in 2023. Um, going forward, we're going to get a new movie, a new TV show, and a new video game. The TV show is penned by Fleabag's Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Um, the game's going to be coming from Crystal Dynamics. Um, and according to THR, and I'll just quote that, them. The idea is to build out a connected world of Tomb Raider with a video game, TV series, and film all interconnected in a fashion akin to what Marvel has already accomplished. I'm not going to say we're living the in TRCU. a hellscape, but I think we're living in a hellscape, Scott Tilford. Yeah, I, there's a lot of parts, lot of parts to this new story that I like. Mm-hmm. I really like Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I think she's excellent. Right. I love Fleabag. I'm really interested in her take on Tomb Raider in the TV space. Mm. That could be really cool, mm. especially jumping off The Last of Us, which has done gangbusters in terms of views and how successful it has been. That said, I don't want a connected universe where the TV shows and the movies influence video games because I think they're mm. such radically different beasts. They sit, take so it takes so much yeah, longer production times, yeah. to craft a video game that I don't want it to feel extraneous. Mm. I want it to feel like the main thing. It was the same thing that we were talking about a few weeks ago, if not a few months ago, when James Gunn took over DC mm. um, films and he was talking about how he wants going forward to not only create interconnected TV shows and movies, mm. but to incorporate the games that WB Studios uh, put out in the DC universe and incorporate those into the movies and the law of the cinematic universe yeah. that he's creating. And that, to me, raised a bunch of red flags because that throws up in my head a bunch of roadblocks, a bunch of walls, and stifles creativity. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I think, like, that. Whole, the thing is, like, starting with such a massive plan, I, I immediately go, that's not going to come together very well. Um, the new the newest Tomb Raider game has been in development for quite some time. There was a whole leak that happened over on uh, Sacred Symbols, uh, Colin Moriarty's podcast, where they had access to someone's, uh, the voice lines they were reading, and the, uh, the idea that Laura, it's like a team, she's with, like, two other companions, or something, and it seems like it's a more group-based thing, which I I like in theory as a way of like passing the torch to the next generation and getting Lara in more of like a mentor role, kind of like what I wanted Splinter Cell to be, yeah. with like Sam mentoring some new actual Splinter Cell agents or something. Um, so it seems like in terms of like that being a way to address the production turnaround, maybe you start with the game turnaround, you get that solid, you actually know what the story is going to be, and then you plug in maybe a different character's perspective from the TV show or something like that. I can see that being the way that it would go. Um, at the top of the chain, though, you've got Crystal Dynamics in charge of the IP who are owned by Embracer I think right now yes um, and so like after because Square Enix were in charge of the last uh, trilogy um, and it's just that whole idea of like I just don't see it not being a very very safe bet getting Phoebe Waller-Bridge on board is awesome um, but it reminds me of when Rhea Pratchett was in, on board to reboot Tomb Raider in 2013 okay. and then she left after the original one 
And it right. was like, um, because it just it just didn't feel like whatever her vision for that, if it was sketched out to be a trilogy, whatever her vision was for Laura didn't mesh with the big business stuff, the safer bets, the, that kind of thing. Hence why, even though Rise of the Tomb Raider and Shadow play well enough, yeah. that trilogy gets exponentially more boring the yeah. more you play it. Um, and the 2013 one is drastically better in terms of a characterization of Laura. I put it in a list the other day, man, uh, in regards to the potential of the 2013 game. Because yeah. that Tomb Raider game... I loved it. I thought it was incredible. It had so much potential. It was so polished, so tight, so inventive Mm. in the areas that it took uh, Lara and the player. And Mm. I just thought the way that series went, even though Rise and Shadow were still good games, Mm. they're just not as good as that series could have been and what that first game promised. Mm. And that is such a shame because Tomb Raider, even good Tomb Raider games, which those last two were, Mm. shouldn't have been overlooked as much as it was. It almost died as a franchise (laughs) once it made the jump to um, Xbox, once it made the Xbox exclusive jump for Rise of the Tomb Raider. And then suddenly... No one cared about it after that. It's I like, just oh, that, man. That, that console bombed so hard. Like, yeah. it killed Sunset Overdrive. It killed Quantum Break. It killed Titanfall. Like, and, like all those things. Some of those things would recuperate. Remedy would make control. Titanfall 2 is phenomenal. Obviously, it didn't sell very well. Um, and then, yeah, Tomb Raider. You kind of forget that that is a bit of a casualty of that Xbox exclusivity that they had in 2014 or whatever. Because um, Rise is a really solid game. Uh, to yeah. me, it doesn't have the same authored kind of feel in terms of the character writing um, that 2013 had. What do you think they do with Lara, though? To me, she's such a 90s, 2000s style character like the, the, sh- the shades the twin pistols like the attitude like that's what I want from Lara Croft um, and I don't know whether you do an aged version of her that's a bit more like Kratos Nathan Drake like reflecting on her past and realizing what part she wants to keep from her past and whatever yeah. or do you rewrite her in a way like almost like the 2013 one I would I would rewrite her but I would keep the idea of her being um, a veteran of yes. what she does mm-hmm. I like the idea of a older Lara Croft you know we've already had a trilogy of her being younger and mm-hmm. becoming the person that she was, or at least analogous to the person that she was in the you know original game. Yeah. So this time around, I think I wouldn't want her to go back to being a sort of caricature or an archetype right. of just someone who is all aesthetic, who is you know a pretty basic, has a pretty basic backstory, is all shades, is all twin pistols. Mm. Like you can keep those signifiers for me, but deepen the character, make her more. I hate to say the word gritty, but you know, <laughs> keep some of the ideas that the 2013 game brought to the table in terms mm-hmm. of grounding that character. Uh, and then maybe kind of, for me, do a James Bond thing with her. Ooh. You know, in the later James Bond movies, they kind of, for my money anyway, got a nice mix between the Casino Royale grittiness and this kind of new idea of a mm. James Bond as a character mm-hmm. and then kind of still leaning into the older, more... Um, you know, bombastic tropes of that character. They managed to mesh it quite well. I would like to see Tomb Raider handled that way where you still keep the larger-than-life aspects, but there's a heart to the character, there's a humanity to the character that you don't get away from. I think you kind of Max Payne 3 it, like, um, where you just sort of, because the the thing in that I, I I really don't like Bond at all is just as a character, but I rewatched all of them before what, was Skyfall the newest one? No, what's the No Time to Die. No Time to Die. I watched all of them before that one because I was like, okay, it's the end of a run, I remember Casino Royale, in theory it was the last uh, Craig's Bond or whatever, and I guess if you've seen it, you'll know why. And so I was like, I'll rewatch all of them. And one facet of that character that they absolutely binned off as those movies went along was the idea idea that James Bond is his shield. The real him is this like sort of scared little boy kind of thing and um, because of his upbringing and because of how like the, how many family figures he couldn't rely on. So he, he almost invents this persona to get by and the real him has a heart but he also has alcoholism as a way of burying the real him mm. to, to put on this bravado and um, bravado and all this um, the more sort of like showy nature of like what makes Bond with the quips and everything else and that's his shield and I love that as a dichotomy for that character. They, like I said they bin it their F off when they get to Skyfall. Um, it's in there for the in Casino Royale, and it's definitely in there in Quantum of Solace, even though that movie is not regarded very well. And it's not that good. But maybe you do that as, like I said, Max Payne 3 style. You make it so that the real Lara Croft, some way that she's getting by is like these trends that she used to be into when she was younger, this way that she used to be an adventurer, the more sort of showy nature, the carefree nature that she had. Yeah. uh, Where she's doing sideways flips with twin pistols, and she just got through. And then maybe now she's reflecting on that. I don't know, you write some way of the real her is human underneath all the showy stuff. Yeah. And that's a way for you to deliver on some scene where she gets to do those things again or something. I like that. I like that idea. Some way. I don't know if I would particularly want this, but I do I just think... I use the word dichotomy. I love I the want word them to dichotomy. use it as well. What a, yeah, they could. Just yeah. keep... Just Tomb Raider dichotomy. Facets that's the, of the character. That's the subtitle yeah. this one. <laughs> but I would like to see them. Well, I wouldn't, but I think it would be a good idea if they kind of had 
Lara Croft be like an icon in culture. Mm. She's known for these adventures. That'd be cool. She is a, a celebrity, you know, for all intents and purposes. And she has kind of become a facsimile of the kind of the person that she used to be. Or mm. she has become known for the flashiness and not the reason she got into Tomb Raiding to begin with. That'd be it, kind of and, fun. Yeah, they like, could walk like a meta line of rediscovering what Tomb Raider was. Totally. Because the franchise itself got so far away from um, you know, 3D exploration. Like that was the big deal was, oh my God, look at these 3D environments and walking into some sort of level and being like, I'm going to conquer that. Yeah. I'm going to figure out a way to go. And it was precarious. I was like the precarious nature of Tomb Raider. And it was what was so annoying about it sometimes when you would miss a, a handhold and fall all the way down. But that was meant, that was why that franchise was a big deal. Like you were supposed to feel like you were barely scaling these tombs and stuff. Um, and then if you were really cocky, you could do the handstand thing at the end and be like, I just mastered that. Yeah. And they got so far away from that stuff. Um that yeah, maybe you sort of metatextually make it that she's rediscovered like if if the whole point of this um is I don't know how much um Phoebe Waller Bridge is thinking this as well, like where does Tomb Raider belong in the modern day? Then you write that into the story. Um, and I guess I have faith in her um like in terms of Fleetbag being very like award winning and stuff. But yeah, the idea of <laughs> the approach to Tomb Raider being a three pronged movie TV show game thing, that's a lot of money. Um, to throw into this. It's a lot of Tomb Raider, my it's friend. It's a lot of Tomb Raider, and that's a character that is never really talked about um, unless someone expressly brings up like the last trilogy or something, so I guess we'll see what happens. Um, the next thing down is the early footage of Horizons multiplayer leaking. Now, this is apparently from a good few years ago, um, but it does show various characters running around. Um, customizable characters. There's also a piece of key art that goes alongside this, showing just, again, like very uh, diverse customizable characters going after um, a Thunderjaw, one of the biggest like T-Rex-looking uh, machines that you can take down. Very Monster Hunter. Mm. I uh, like just looking at that key heart, it's almost like key art. It's almost like a kidified version of Monster Hunter in terms of the aesthetic. Like it's almost like Fortnite meets Monster Hunter, which I can literally see Jim Ryan meshing his fingers together <laughs> and just nodding, going, aye, man, aye, let's do that. Like that'll make all the money that. So I think that's what that'll be. I think you're probably spot all the money on in the world, Scott Telford. I was surprised by the key art, and obviously mm. it might change. It might not be indicative of whatever they decide to finalize for the finished product. Mm. But it kind of reminded me of, remember like the very first sort of pre-alpha ideas for the original Horizon, where it was a little bit more colorful. It was a little bit more cartoony in and of itself. Right. It didn't have the aesthetic that it later had. It reminded me of that. Mm. And it just makes me wonder what this is going to be. Is it going to be that mesh up with Monster Hunter, like you said? Mm. Who is it going to be for? Is it going to be aimed towards a younger audience, maybe a more accessible audience mm. to get a bigger multiplayer market. I don't know. Uh, was it what I want from Horizon? Not really. But, <laughs> you know, I've been... I have doubted Guerrilla Games before, and they mm-hmm. have always delivered for me mm-hmm. so far, even in the Killzone era. They were still... Oh, doing, no, let's not uh, talk about the Killzone era. Killzone Shadowfall at least looked really nice. Uh, I like the little <laughs> owl show that you had. That, yes. was, that was nice. <laughs> so at least, so it's like, if they want to branch out, that is quite cool, because what's the alternative? We sit here and say... Horizon's got very safe. Can you believe the <laughs> next sequel well, was just the same as uh, Forbidden West? And that Zero was the Dawn thing, Hunt. though. Like looking at the key art for it, like it looks like the safest thing you could possibly do. Like it's, and I know that Sony have, are, are investing in multiplayer stuff going forward, um, and it just feels like it's like you've got the Horizon uh, TV show coming up. You might as well do this multiplayer tie-in that has a very cutesy. And it, I mean, obviously, the go-to is Fortnite-style art style. I feel like Fortnite art style is becoming the Dark Souls mechanics of like um, comparisons, where we always just say anything with a camera over the shoulder it's Dark Souls or something that's hard it's Dark Souls um, but you can kind of see that they are chasing that it almost looks like Clash of Clans or um, just like that general idea of like mobile storefront game I know that they have invested or they are investing a lot in mobile uh, gaming as well so maybe something like this has a mobile component to it or is a mobile version of it because this would sit very nicely on an Android top 10 um, or an iPhone top 10 it's kind of weird that in a few years time we're going to be talking about some of the best PlayStation franchises perhaps prominently in Mm. terms of their multiplayer components. You know, we're going to be talking about The Last of Us factions. We're going to be talking about Horizon multiplayer. (laughs) We're going to be talking about whatever. Ghost of Tsushima. Even Ghost of Tsushima had a multiplayer Mm -hmm. thing that will no doubt be expanded upon in the sequel. Mm -hmm. You know, they are clearly all in on this push towards uh, live service games. You know, we knew that since Sony bought Bungie had committed to 10 or 12 or however many it was (laughs) live service games in production. And, you know, I'm all here for these franchises experimenting. I just, 
we, we just talked at the beginning of this podcast, Scott Telford, about how all of these live services. Well, that's what I'm just going to say. Like, do they? Yeah, in do the all of these projects so. just eat each other? Yeah, like because they're, they're going to overlap. Like if you if you set them all off, I mean, assumedly they know to schedule them better. Um, but if you have a Horizon live service and a um whatever other live services you end up setting off going forward, do they all overlap? And then we have the exact same problem that every other third party live service is having. Sorry, I was drinking some water at the end of that sentence. I didn't realize it was going to come so quickly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, you're right, man. Like, I don't want them to eat each other. And like you said there, I just hope that they bring interesting things to the table and aren't just relying on the sort of bog-standard live service template Mm. that has killed so many games. You know, I was reading an article the other day about The Last of Us Factions and how it's going to have, you know, story components as well as, the obviously, the multiplayer focus. Mm. And to me, that would be the way to make these games feel more unique and more authored. I like the fact that Mm. Naughty Dog is taking the time on their Last of Us project. They could have just kicked something out the door. They could have just kicked factions out the door, had it essentially be the multiplayer portion of the second game, like the first game's factions was, maybe beef it up a little bit, make it free to play, and then just see how it did. But it seems like they're not just doing that. They're putting more time, they're putting more resources, they're putting more creativity in it from what we can at least gather Mm -hmm. at this early stage. And that's the way to do it. That makes me more optimistic Mm. than it would have been if it was just, you know, okay, Factions is ready six months after The Last of Us 2. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here it is. (laughs) Play it if you want. Play it. Don't play it. Yeah, it's got two maps. We've got got a battle pass. Uh, We'll (laughs) kill us off. We'll kill us off in three years' time. I am (laughs) more optimistic about these projects, not just because they're Sony, but because of the development that they've had. Mm. But the proof will be in the pudding as it is for all live service games, because as we were saying again at the start of this podcast, yes. we were optimistic about the Avengers. Look how that turned out. <sighs> yeah, I think it's it's a weird thing with Sony multiplayer stuff, because I feel like they are now known as this like powerhouse story-driven first-party you know, team. There's a certain like style of Sony first-party stuff now, and I feel like that's what people will go to them for. And the only last time that I can think of, because um, obviously you have Ghost of Tsushima um, just tagging on its multiplayer mode. Like, Legends is great. I've barely I've barely even played it. I did the very beginning of the tutorials. Ah, it's fine, but I, that's not what I want from Ghost of Tsushima whatsoever. Um, but the last time they sort of made a point of saying this has multiplayer and marketed it, as far as I know, was God of War Ascension. Um, mm. when, when that was like part of the E3 presentations and we're making it multiplayer and everyone was like, please don't, that's not why we come to you. And so I'm curious if that changes going forward, if they can take a known single player model like and just go like, well, what if we just make that co-op? What if we just make that multiplayer? Yeah. And now you monetize it differently and now you present it differently and the visual style is different. And it's just, that I, that's obviously what they're going to experiment with. But it's just, I don't know, it goes against what their core ethos is to some degree, of what they've built themselves on. Like, they've only yes. really cemented themselves as this powerhouse single-player story studio um, across the last few years. And they've only branded it PlayStation Studios for, like, two years or something. So it's like, I think that's it's an interesting pivot. I just see the money pull. And I feel like a lot of people will see the money pull. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, it depends on the quality of those games, I guess. But um, but as them as a core ethos, I just I feel like that's a lot of... Um, terrain to navigate for them in terms of being known as a multiplayer studio as well. That's true. And don't get me wrong, I also see the machinations of this and Mm. why someone would want a multiplayer Last of Us or a multiplayer Horizon, because like you said, you know, that's going to make a lot of money. There's a lot of money to be made there. Mm -hmm. But also, we were talking... Uh, off mic before we started recording and indeed have spoken on mic many times about <laughs> Sony's sort of safe approach to sequels and mm-hmm. how they have become known for these third-person character-driven stories that are either set in an open world or have open world elements. You know, with a, a bow and arrow. With a bow and arrow, a lot of them play very similar and that's fine for me right now, like I've said before, but what if the way that they evolve and change is multiplayer, mm. not just making multiplayer focus, but plugging it in in interesting ways, like Legends with Hopefully Factions, man. too. Hopefully yeah. Factions, you know? Um, in, uh, suites that aren't just tagged on suites, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, really interesting integrations that not everyone will use, but will make the games feel distinct. You know, we're going into, no doubt, Spider-Man 2's big blowout season where we finally see more of that game. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me, as we've said before, if that has a multiplayer component in some form, it whether that's do. It has to. co-op with Peter Parker and Miles Morales, whether it's something else entirely. Mm. But there are ways to kind of evolve what Sony is known for right now, I think, through multiplayer. And that's my mm. utopian view of it. <laughs> Will it just be a money-grubby thing? Potentially. But mm. if I'm thinking about how they evolve from what they're known for right now, it's by keeping the single-player focus, but by complementing it with something more multiplayer kind of... yeah. 
with I don't know what would you even say multiplayer adjacent or multiplayer. Yeah, so sort of like it's just making you know what I mean? making that part of the experience worthwhile because the story stuff is so worthwhile. Um, and then just trying to uh, like flesh that thing out and make it not feel like a cash grab, not just feel like an arbitrary thing that's, that's thrown on. The thing is, like on a, from a cold like or from a more business perspective, it, it is very admirable what Jim Ryan is trying to do. Like you take these franchises that are beloved, um, like like Horizon, like uh, The Last of Us or whatever, and you invest in the multiplayer, you invest in making them bigger like you bring them to different uh, mediums like tv and, and, and um, film and you go from there and it's like and you make sure that everyone of all these different age groups knows what these things are and, and like the sales of the last of us uh, remastered and part one shot the f up like last week as people are playing along in time with the tv show so it definitely works and it's like and then you know 20 30 50 years time will people look back and be like oh i didn't even know a time when sony wasn't known for this handful of things mm. like nintendo are um, and maybe that's just what they want to do. Like, he wants to change how Sony is thought of and really make PlayStation Studios this big thing yeah. where it's omnipresent. And if you're not playing through the story, you're playing through the multiplayer. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Like a lot of wishes in uh, the video game industry, uh, it's a very, very much a monkey paw situation mm. for me. You know, a few years ago, I was sat at a microphone in a podcast with you talking about how I think Sony has missed a trick by not right. getting in a multiplayer, by not releasing a multiplayer first-person shooter. Still no first-person shooter in sight. Still no first-person shooter, but I wanted multiplayer games because I just felt like it was a space that they were ignoring mm. with the exception of Uncharted's multiplayer or The Last of Us Factions. Mm -hmm. But now the monkey paw has curled and Jim Ryan's gone, well, you want a multiplayer, did you? He's 15 <laughs> games to look forward have all, to. Yeah, have all the multiplayer you can eat. Yeah. For, for, who knows how? How long? I mean, that's the thing. In terms of all these third-party companies, it's quite easy, quote-unquote, for them to pull the, the um, what's the hell's the phrase? Get rid of them. Pull the trigger on them to yeah. get rid of them. Yeah. What's the opposite of pulling the trigger? I don't know. You know when you pull cut the trigger? Cut the cord. Yeah, 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 cut yeah. the cord. Pull the cord uh, on these. No, that still implies that it's setting it in motion. No, <laughs> whatever you would stop something with. Um, it's quite easy for the third parties to say this isn't working out. We have 50 other irons in the fire. It doesn't really matter to the optics of our company. Let's just sever this thing um, or sunset it to prefer a PR term. Um, whereas in Sony's case, a lot of their reputation is being invested in these games and it's Naughty Dog. It's Naughty Dog's big... I mean, they've had Last of Us Factions. They've had Uncharted multiplayer, but like this upcoming Last of Us 2 or whatever this next thing is, um, you know, that is, that's a huge deal. That is the next Naughty Dog game and it's multiplayer. And so like there's a lot more riding on that in terms of them as a company, a lot of the yeah. conversations that will come out of that um, as to how successful it is. Final piece of news is Far Cry 7 and a separate Far Cry multiplayer game being confirmed by Insider Gaming um, and Tom Henderson, known at Leaker. Um, these um, have named project names right now. Project Blackbird is Far Cry 7 and Project Maverick is um, the Far Cry multiplayer standalone. Apparently they were both um, penciled into be the same game um, you know, single player with a multiplayer component, and they're being separated going forward. This is apparently coming from Ubisoft Montreal, which are one of Ubisoft's biggest studios responsible for the beloved Far Cry 2. Man, man, man. You know, we talk man. sometimes about, like, what's the franchise that you love that mm. you've just fallen out of love with, that you hate to that see... That doesn't love you anymore. That doesn't love you anymore, <laughs> and that you just hate to see transformed into something that you just can't get on with. And yep. I'm just coming to the realization that Far Cry is the one for me. As much as I love Far Cry 
2 and as much as I love Far Cry 3, mm-hmm. this game, this franchise has given me like five games, if you include <laughs> Primal and New Dawn, that are just... Eh, like who cares, man? That's it, man. And it's like, I look at the details that are in this Insider Gaming report about mm-hmm. the multiplayer thing that they're creating now, and I just think, what's happened to this series, man? I know we were just talking about how it sometimes could be a good thing for franchises that are known for one thing to branch out mm-hmm. into multiplayer to, you know, try something new, mm-hmm. but... When it comes, the difference between Ubisoft and Sony is that I don't trust Ubisoft to do something for <laughs> creative reasons. No. You know what I mean? They're into mega brands. They're trying to make as much money as possible into the idea of just taking Far Cry and making it a live service or making it multiplayer. To me, is just them trying to make as much money as possible. The thing is, they already had the template for this. They had Far Cry Arcade. That yeah. was like their version of what Halo Infinite's Forge now is. Like very, very, very robust multiplayer, um, you know, creation suite. That if they'd <clears throat> made that a separate platform or monetized it, you know, in some sort of way that wasn't fleecing you to death, that would have been a Far Cry live service. Like there's, there was already a bunch of different level templates in there that connoted different franchises that were really, really fun and that were very, very recommendable. Like that would, be, that would have been your time to strike. Like that, yeah. and that was post Far Cry Four, I think, was when Arcade came out, um, or maybe Far Cry Five. But either way, it was more positive conversation around Far Cry. It was pre-Far Cry 6, where everyone kind of went, okay, like, you need to take a minute here. Um, but yeah, like you said, they are very up for, or they, according to UKMO, like, the uh, owner or whatever, found founder, um, they are just like, oh, the industry's shifting towards mega brands. And I guess to them, Far Cry is their mega brand. Yeah. Um, other than Assassin's Creed. And so they're just going to double down on that stuff as much as possible, even though it's exhausted. Like, yeah. the early playtests from Skull and Bones, which have just started surfacing this week, um, are that that game is just a very highly monetized version of Black Flag um, in terms of the ship uh, the ship uh, combat stuff. And so that's all this will be. We know what this is. I'm yes. sick of getting announcements for stuff where we know exactly what it's going to be. Like, it's so boring. And it's, again, it's, it's not unexpected because I think in their big shareholder press release, I can't remember whether it was Eves Gilmore or another executive, but they mm. said, you know, going forward, how are we going to bolster our portfolio? <laughs> and they literally said, expect um, live service installments from our, all of our biggest franchises, oh, yeah. including Far Cry. Including Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon, including <laughs> Assassin's Creed. It's like every one of their franchises now Ugh. is getting a live service game. And I guess this is uh the the answer to that to the question of how do we live service Far mm. Cry? It's, it's we make it a kind of co-op survival based thing if the report is to be believed. Mm. And it's like I know how that plays. Yeah. I know how Far Cry has played for the past decade, you know what I mean? And transferring that to a multiplayer suite might be a little bit of fun, mm-hmm. but Unlike like, meh? Yeah, that's it, man. <laughs> Unlike the potential <laughs> multiplayer offerings from Sony, I look at this one uh-huh. and I just think, is this the future of this franchise? We get a multiplayer game alongside a sequel that no doubt is going to play the exact same as yep. 6 and 5 and 4 and 3. With a wacky antagonist. Yep. Got to find another one. I'd be really curious, actually. I need to... Um, I'm just really curious. A younger gamer, someone who's in their teens, late teens, who, like, grew up on, like, say, Far Cry 4 onwards, um, are they excited about it? Are they are they the ones going, oh, my God, there's another Far Cry. I can't wait. I loved 4. I love 5. Whatever. Is it raw? Is it sheer exposure to these um, timelines, these turnarounds, these annual releases? Um, sometimes they're annual with certain IP. Is that, what, is that what's exhausting? Um, is that why we have this reaction of, like, well, I know what that's going to be? Um, or is the, but I don't necessarily think that's the case because Far Cry 6 was very safe. Far Cry New Dawn was very safe. It is lots of re-releasing of the same thing over and over and over again. We've been playing Far Cry 3 since 2012. And that's the issue, right? Because after that, once they hit a really good formula that people loved, Mm. we got Far Cry 4, which was just Far Cry Mm 3.5. We got Far Cry 5. And Primal. Which was Far Cry 3.5 again. (laughs) Uh, That I quite enjoyed. But yeah, then we also got Primal. Then we also got New Dawn. Then we got the remaster of Far Cry 3. We've been playing this game for the past 10 years, and I am annoyingly (laughs) old enough to remember how, like, full of life the series used to be and how many risks that it took to get where it was now. Mm. I think this is like, God, I feel so old, man. I feel so (laughs) jaded. But I think this is like the story of every big video game franchise. Uh It gets to a level of popularity by doing something interesting in you. Mm. Once you get to that level, 
you cannot do anything interesting on you ever again. Well, <laughs> and all the people at the top can do, because they can't think of anything, is do more of the thing that worked. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I always identify and get so bored by. Um, and that's that just is the case in so many different echelons of entertainment right now. And that's entirely what Ubisoft are doing. It's just like, we, we have no idea where we go after Far Cry 3. So just another wacky antagonist, another same crafting component thing, another of just the same real feel. Like, you can almost put six side by side with three, mm-hmm. and it's nigh on the same thing. Um, and it's just, it's not that it wasn't, I mean, I love Far Cry 3. Like, I think the yeah. story kind of falls off, but like, whatever. Still, there was a lot to love there. And it's not that that idea isn't strong enough. Like, I still like Far Cry 4. Um, and I think a lot of people quite liked 5. But for me, that's when I started to really be aware that I am just doing the same thing over and over yes. again. And so it's not that that idea of smaller amounts of iteration, it's not that that's inherently bad, but over a long enough time period, like it, we're past a decade now since that came out. This might sound facetious or, you know, like I'm doing a bit, but I, I genuinely am not. Like I want people who are listening to this and yes. have enjoyed every Far Cry up until now, like to message me because yes. I want to know who these games are for. Because I remember when we were talking about Far Cry 6 when it came out and, you know, what we said was it's a solid game. Yep. If this was the, your first or maybe second Far Cry, you'll probably love it. Mm. But if you've been with the franchise for a long time, uh, you, you're probably, you know, oversaturated. You're mm. probably too familiar with the mechanics. You probably won't get into it as much as you got into Far Cry 3 or even mm. Far Cry 4 or maybe even Far Cry 5. And I, it's a genuine question that I'm putting out there. <laughs> if you have been this f- fan of the franchise all of the way through its history, like, do you exist? Mm. Is this a me thing? Have I just outgrown it? Well, or what is the, like, what's happened? Is it, I, I genuinely just want to know if it's franchise <laughs> fatigue as a, for a widespread population or just fr- franchise fatigue for me and you. I honestly think, because uh, I compare it to fast food, I think that it's it's making them into products. And I think if you, because if you had McDonald's every single day, you'd get sick of it. And it's just That's like- That's not true. I, well, 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 we get as sick of it as you might want to admit you would. But I think like that whole idea of having the same product over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and that idea of just, yeah, like exposure to those, like just refining all the edges, making it this pristine little thing where Far Cry 6 was a really good Far Cry, like in terms of what it was going for in terms of chasing that 3 model. But if you knew what 3 was and you've been with it for 10 years, it just couldn't, it fu- fundamentally couldn't land. It's like having the same burger twi- two days in a row or something um, or whatever, just that idea of having the same thing twice. Um, I just think that's the, the core issue. Um, and I think it's if someone just didn't have experience with the IP, yeah. they would respond more positively to it. But they themselves would now be very tired for Far Cry 7 yeah. um, or whatever the hell it is going forward. Scott, you know I, I'm a big fan of playing through like franchises in their entirety. It's true. You know, going Can I recommend through, Dead Space? I will do. I will. Oh, <laughs> you have no idea the survival horror binge I'm about to go on. Oh, I mate, I'll tell just, you. I, I'm just in stop recording. two, three, and then I'm doing one again. I'm <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> That's not the audio you should it's have done. It's not it at all. I've done one before, but still. Uh, but the point was like, I love going through entire franchises. I love playing all the Devil May Cries, all the Ninja Guidance, all the Metal Gears, all the Silent Hills, Resident Evils, all Final Fantasy, whatever. Yeah. But you'll notice, yes. there are, I never mention an Ubisoft series. I've never <laughs> gone through all the Far Cries. I've never gone through all the Assassin's Creed because mm. you know, at a certain point, you're playing the same game. And like they're fine, like you said, mm. you know, it's the fast food analogy. They're fine in isolation, fine as a treat now and again. But if I played through all of the Far Cries in a row. Ah oh, man, I'd have to take a month off my <laughs> life. Never mind just gaming on this job. I be think like playing, it would be too much. Playing like Days Gone five times in a row. Yeah. Just like the same <laughs> mechanics for that for five hundred hours. Yeah, the thing is that's the thing. It's like they've they've really pushed that approach to its absolute zenith. And the thing is you can throw in um, all the, um, there was that, that whole thing with all the allegations against certain members of the team. There was a certain person, uh, I think his name was Sergei Haskoy, who was um, directly the um, the gatekeeper, let's say, of game design at Ubisoft. And everyone would have to go to him with all these ideas of what they wanted to do. And he was the guy going, no, 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 that won't work. That won't sell. Um, you know, like, it needs to be this. And he was, assumedly, the reason why things were so, so, so safe. Um, and after all that stuff came out, I think it was in 2020 or 2021, um, he stepped down or he left or whatever. Um, and so there was always this assumption that things would free up. And so maybe that's why more like quote unquote new IPs got green at like X Defiant or whatever. Um, but we haven't seen that stuff bear fruit. And then obviously Ubisoft are going through this whole financial turmoil thing. So they're relying on their safe bets again. It's just, they're just in such a really ugly place right now. Like yeah. they're not an exciting company. Um, they're just someone that you watch take over. And it's just like, it's just boring. Like in a, in a video game space, it's just kind of boring. Um, I'll tell you what's not boring. Go on. Um, and a trans- transition into uh, what we've actually been playing. Hi-Fi Rush. Yes. Dot com. Oh, man. We did a video on this last we week. We did? Uh, you and I. And you've played much more than I have. I've almost finished it. But 
it was a bloody good surprise, wasn't it? I really love this. the art style so much. The thing is, I'm not as high on it gameplay-wise as I wish I was. Um, I'm not a fan of the writing. I actually think <laughs> no. it's worsely written than Forspoken, yeah. um, just to be Mr. Hot Take Haver. Um, but I think, yeah, the way that it's written, it's very, like, Disney. It's very Disney-fied. It's very for kids. Um, and it's fun enough, but it's very the way that a, a Disney uh, kids show would approach the idea of being a fan of rock and being a fan of, like, heavier music or something. Um, I don't think it nails it the way that something like Brutal Legend did or the way that something like Metal Hellsinger did, mm. where it's really, like... I mean, obviously, they're more metal than rock, yeah. but, like, that idea of, like, we know that this is big and bombastic and stupid and ridiculous, and we're going to have fun with it, um, as opposed to... It's quite... Uh, Hi-Fi Rush is very watered down. That's it. Yeah. I think if you're getting into this, which, you know, I never thought it was going to be this, but if you're getting into Hi-Fi Rush thinking it is going to be this love letter to rock music and, like, an authentic experience, it is rock, like you said, by way of the Disney Channel. If you think the Black Keys are rock, then cool, you're in. But the they're not. All right, the Vakis are okay. I'm not saying they're not okay. I'm just okay. saying they're not rock. Right. Like I'm saying they're fine. I mean, just because it has a. Like, it's like when Coldplay were nominated as like best rock album at like the Grammys or something, and it's right. like that's not at all. Like it's something you can't make some sort of like court case. Oh, there's a guitar in it, which I would, which you might. But like still, it's just that idea of like I said, rock archetypes, rock stereotypes, rock yes. music is not like that idea of the whole opening of the game where Chad's like, I want to be a rock star, and he's like throwing the hands, he's throwing the horns, whilst Black Keys Lonely Boy is playing, and it's just like that doesn't really mesh right and a lot of the music uh, as it goes forward it's it's fun enough and serviceable enough and enjoyable enough and there's a whole boss fight or every boss fight is always is um timed with a certain song the first one's nine inch nails um that's it's solid it's all very very solid i just feel like it could be so much better um, ah, in that regard again i've not played enough to comment on its potential mm. or lack of potential lack of living up to its potential but that first hour man i thought was so confident it was mm. so confident that i actually forgave its flaws because right. like you said the writing is bad but the writing <laughs> is involved in cutscenes that are so like snappily directed, have such a sense of beautiful, character yeah. and are so beautiful and have such, you know, energy to them that I almost didn't mind. It mm. was like I was, you know, watching uh, a movie or a TV show that wasn't made for me, but mm. I can still appreciate it, you know? There's and a it, bit, just to quickly shout it out, because I was like, you can almost side by side it. Everyone's hating that bit in Forspoken where she says, like, did I just move that with my mind? Did I just do that? And that's literally in Hi-Fi yeah. Rush. He says, did I just do that? Yeah. It's the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. Like exactly the same. But then we're just sort of like, well, no, one of them's fine and one of them's not because, yeah. well, you know, the graphics are beautiful, so whatever. But it's just like, are we angry about this style of dialogue or are we not? Like, yes. It's just, for me, I identify it in both. I just think that overall, um, Chai as a character is just so flat um, and just so boring, like ultimately. Don't get me wrong. Fully agree. It's not a world for <laughs> It's me. rare that we agree as well. Yeah, it is very rare, but it's like, I'm not... It's almost like I wasn't expecting big things from that side of the game. Mm. Like, I wasn't expecting great characters or a great story. I was just expecting a world that looks lush. And it gave me a world that Which looks lush. Which it definitely lush. nails. It nails a sense of place, I, I think. And the gameplay for me... I'm a fan of rhythm games. Once I get into the rhythm yes. and it stops frustrating me because I'm, I don't have any patience. And once I started getting into the combat and once I started getting those S ranks for, you know, combat encounters, mm -hmm. that's when it all clicked to the point of I kind of view it as a, a, <laughs> just a set of mechanics rather than a world or a story or anything right. like that. It's just a lovely set of mechanics with a lovely art style. And that's all I personally want from it. But I can sort of understand someone who wants a better story or better or, or characterization just, or just or better writing. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, that's the thing. It is easily the one of the best looking games of all time. Like, it's just the animation style. The fact that they blend, like, 3D animation with, like, all these different 2D approaches to animation. Stuff that mirrors newer um, animes as well. Things like Demon Slayer. Things like some of the, um, like, fights in One Punch Man towards the end of that first season. Um, that start coming in on some of the boss fight animations and stuff. Um, absolutely beautiful. I find that the, the graphics are by far why you would recommend it. It's just gorgeous to look at, hence why I'm just playing through it. It's a very easy, very Moorish game to just go through. Um, and yeah, the mechanics are solid enough. I find that like that whole opening, there's way too much tutorialization. Um, I kind of want them to just let me go because mm. they always they do a whole thing where they give you like this is how you do this and then they stop you and there's a robot telling you like, and it's like interact with him and they tell you the same thing again they do that over and over and over again um, and I think for me it's like after a while I was like no I get it I get this beat this one beat you're doing and yeah. I can apply things to it but it's not until your hours in where you actually start factoring in dodges and parries um, and different types of enemies that need different time signatures to beat them 
Um, I think that's the stuff where it, it it's almost like you can argue well it needs that build up for a few hours before they yeah. can give you those things comfortably. Um, but I find that the actual pace of the way Chai moves is quite slow. The actual platforming is pretty bad, I would say. Like a lot of like the feel of exploration, because it's like two thirds platforming, one third combat. Yeah. Um, the actual platforming is really nothing to write home about. It's it's very PS2 era, which can be fine. Yes. I love PS2 platformers, but there's more you could do with it. Um, and I feel that because it's so beautiful and because the combat has so much potential, um, I kind of notice the stuff it's not doing almost a little bit more sometimes. This is where we started to disagree, mm. I think, because I, as we mentioned with the art style and the writing, I think this is a game for all ages. And totally. for me, as a person who finds it tough to get into, especially rhythm combat games, mm. the tutorials were so welcome. Yes. I loved having those spaces to learn literally the basics of being on beat, you mm. know, uh, quick <laughs> attacks, heavy attacks, dodging to the beat, stuff like that. I needed that time to get in the rhythm because mm. I know, and this is a terrible thing that I, I understand is my fault, but I know if I didn't have those extreme tutorials, mm. I would have not understood what I was supposed to do. The combat would have felt bad and I would have turned it off. I think for me, it's really important for a rhythm game to get you in the rhythm as fast as possible and to make you understand exactly how to be on beat that um, I think... They've over-egged it, but if that means less people fall through the sieve of the amount of people hmm. trying this in Game Pass, it's probably a worthy sacrifice true. In, my, in my eyes. No, that's true. I mean, the thing is they have a whole mechanic where even if you start an attack off-beat, the animation will sync up so that you land on beat, so you almost start off-time, unless you're making a point of starting on time, um, and then you're back in it again. And a lot of the attacks, especially ones that you unlock, have little pauses, and there's a whole parry mechanic later on, like a, a special parry that you can do based on parrying and then waiting a beat, and then attacking again and so there's little things like that that I think are very neat and very fun and um, I just kind of wish it was a bit tighter I think some things like like I said the platforming some parts of that combat get a little bit too messy and visually over the top for their own good like at this at the end of every combo you have a little circle that shrinks towards the middle of the screen which gets right in the way of seeing what you want to deflect or move away from especially when the combat encounters get harder um, and especially when they bring in enemies that are snipers every cool game has a sniper that just has a countdown to take you out of a combo <laughs> and it's like why, why are you putting them in every game because um, it's like it's anti the game. It was like Roller Drum was brilliant, apart from the lock on enemies that you could. You had to just uh, interrupt your combo to hit the evade button. And it's the same thing here. It's like you're doing a beautiful series of animations, but let me dodge out of that because I can't actually finish the combo um, because I need to get away from this thing that's about to hit me. <laughs> and you can factor the parries in and stuff. But I'm just like, there's a lot going on, um, and, and you're trying to make that all hit the B. And I'm doing well enough not to toot the old horn, but I'm, do- I'm getting S's, I'm getting A's, I'm doing well enough. Um, but yeah, I just uh, it's so close for me. It's like a really pristine eight out of ten. Yeah, um, and I think a lot of people have been given it tens. I, I was so glad that it existed, exists rather, um, and just so glad to see it. And I wowed at the art style, and I was amazed that I could just go download it. That's the thing that I love about it, and I think that the visuals are second to none, really. Um, but I do find that actual gameplay wise, especially platforming wise, it's it's fine. Mm. Yeah. I might change my mind, but at this early sort of impasse that I'm at with it, I think it's going to be a really good game mm. but one of those games that makes me more excited for the sequel you know what i mean it's, kind of. this is kind of like the proof of concept it's come out of nowhere it's put it on the map mm. and now i kind of want to go okay so what are we doing next like yeah. how are you going to refine this how are you going to add layers on top of it how are you going to make this into something even better than what it already is i love games that i i enjoy but have me thinking about where they could take it next. And I think this is very much one of those. True. I think as well, like it's, we talked about being like, oh, is it just, would a younger audience be okay with this? Or would a younger, or, or people who are less exposed to certain tropes in media be more okay with this? Because there's a lot of really safe writing here. There's a lot of just, like the sense of humor is very, very safe. There's what's called a cat companion. It's just like a lot of the characters that you find across the adventure, like um, are just very tropey. Like it's just like, oh, there's a, there's a huge muscly guy who's actually quite soft and doesn't want to fight. And it's like, okay, cool. We've done this a million million times like and it's presented beautifully and i don't know how much of that is just me being old man 101 yeah because like those tropes have existed for time immemorial kind of thing and um, immemorial rather so I, I am curious if just people just can go with that more than i can it's not that i can't go with it but i recognize it as an existing trope and i'm just like every character in there and the fact that they're all named after types of tea yeah where part of me just kind of cringes at that stuff my friend what are the characters in dragon ball named after well, we now know yes. they're named after rice and vegetables. <laughs> there and we go. But Dragon Ball's cooler, so <laughs> and it's older. Right. Yeah, okay. So it's, it did it well back in the in the eighties, back <laughs> in the day. Um, the last thing, because um, I'm going to save Dead Space until we've both played more of it, because I've only done the first hour or so. 
Um, very, very promising. I love that they've expanded all the levels and stuff. There's a lot more going on in that game. The fact that you have to choose between lighting a room and opening the door at the end of the dark corridor is a really cool horror mechanic to throw into Dead Space what for certain I've areas. Anyway, found over the weekend, Scott Tilford, is that people bloody love Dead Space, yeah. and that's not just because of how much discussion I saw online. It's <laughs> because I went to three different game shops, and all of them were sold out. They were copies of Dead Space on PlayStation Five, so I couldn't get to play it <laughs> at the weekend, despite trading in. Crisis Core, and despite trading in the Callisto Sad Protocol. Sad to see Crisis Core go. It was. <laughs> Maybe. It was. Probably not. Maybe. You know what? In an alternate universe, I don't love that game. In this universe, it sucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the story is god-awful, so I, I back you there. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll check in on Dead Space. Obviously, a lot of people playing through it. Um, it is selling very, very well. £70? Crazy. It's a lot of money, It's man. way too much. This is what I mean. I traded in those two games, got £35 cash, mm. and then realized I was halfway there to right, the game, yeah. which is nuts. It's dumb, man. I mean, I think it's just EA going like, we, let's just see what we can get away with. And they are getting away with it. Like, yeah. it's, uh, I think it's 65 uh, in some places, but there is a deluxe one for like 80 as well. That's it, man. On, the, on the PlayStation Store, at least, it's 69.99. Yes. So they're living up to that RRP, you know? Mm-hmm. And then for the most part, they're getting it. They got it from me. I was just like, I need to see it. Because I'm in such, I was in such a Dead Space bubble. Um, I I went through all of Dead Space 2. I went straight through all of Dead Space 3. Um, love the first half. Of, well, opening of Dead Space 3, terrible. Mm. All the flotilla stuff, incredible. And then everything when you land um, after the first bit of the winter, like the snowy parts, all the stuff with the love triangle. The last couple hours of that game is some of the worst anything I've ever seen. Like just, <laughs> what, the living hell, man. I was annoyed that that happened. I was like, how? I get why people hate that game. Yeah. Because um, the end of that game is an absolute abomination. It's horrible. It's terribly written. It's, it sucks. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm now going back through Dead Space 1 again, which is just a stupid order. But I have played Dead Space 1 a lot yeah. over the years. Um, but me and you will do more Dead Space stuff um, after you get more time with it. And I'll be playing through more of it as well. Um, I will mention, because um, we will maybe touch on this more going forward, um, Forspoken. <laughs> just I, at some point, I just needed to know uh, myself. I mentioned this at the start of the podcast. Um, I will say um, that I largely agree with the people saying it's being overhated, um, that it's not it's not that bad. And once you know the full context of Frey as a character, um, there's like a half hour prologue, yeah. um, fleshing out that she's an orphan in New York and that nothing goes right for her. Um, and like not in like a cartoonish way, just in a. I mean, some of it's like an anime adjacent kind of way. It's like the the bullies that are fighting here in the, in New York are like the most '90s bullies ever. They might as well have spiked collars on, kind of thing. Um, but still, the fact that so much stuff goes wrong for her, and then she gets whisked, whisked away to Athia as she's potentially going to kill herself, like she's about to potentially commit suicide, and then she goes off to Athia, and it becomes like this wonderful lifestyle setup where it's like, okay, you have this whole other world to get stuck into, um, and she just wants to get home. But obviously, the characters like Cuff are like, well, what are you getting back to? And yeah. it's just that whole idea of like, oh, you wanted to get away from this world. What if we actually let you and then flesh the, the character out that way? So when she does that, obviously very meme scene now of like, did I just do that? That in context is the only thing that's gone right for her in like a three day period where like her apartment's burned down and she, and like she's given her cat away and everything. So for me, and especially because of Ella Belinsky's acting, I was like, this is largely completely fine. Yeah. And I hate that style of dialogue for the most part. Well, it's it's funny, right? Because I've not played it myself and mm. have no intentions to, at least in the foreseeable future. <laughs> I might throw it out. I've got it physical. So <laughs> maybe I'll just be like, there you go. You should take it too. I duck every time. Yeah. yeah every yeah, single time. That. It goes but, to get traded in. You know, I was, I was here on this very podcast last laughing at <laughs> the first like trailer we got where you know you I get you that dialogue. You knew I was going to get it. No, you were so well, right. You're I'll, so right. I'll get back to that in a second. Yeah. But you know that that obviously now meme to death scene of you know I'm talking to a cuff. That still in that trailer like does the game dirty? Yes. That is a it is a bad delivery cut together that way. It's also not in that scene. Well, like the marketing is a disaster. This is it, right? So I thought the dialogue was going to be like that and the delivery was going to be like that. But then when people started, you know, sharing scenes at the weekend that were actually in context mm. and they were doing the same thing of look how funny this is. I was watching them thinking it's not for me, but right. it's it's nowhere near the level that the trailers initially implied, mm-hmm. like the fact that, you know, you have this companion you're talking to, again, it, it could be snappier, it yep. could be funnier, but it got a few laughs out of me. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 yeah, it's not great, but it's, it made me realize that the dialogue is no worse than a hi-fi rush or 
any other game the that thing we've that's had like, in this vein for the past few years. Yeah, the thing that I think distinguishes it, and I'll see, I know you've done two hours, so I've only just got her actual costume that she has on the uh, the box art, because you don't get that for way after the prologue and a, a bit of exploration and stuff. But I find that, like, with Frey, she obviously doesn't want to be there. Like, she's just kind of putting up with stuff, but it's largely, it's a shell. It's, it's a defense mechanism. It's very Ellie. It's very Last of Us Ellie, where, like, it's just like, I'm not going to trust you because you want something from me, and I've just been, as an orphan as that character, she's been passed around so much um, from person to person. And you can kind of read about it in one of the uh, the data entries that she's just like in actually just her as a person. She cares. She wants to love. She has a, she has a cat that she loves. And um, she bumps into someone in the prologue and she's oh my god I'm so sorry. Tries to pick them up. Has to run. Like there is an actual heart there. Um, it's just the ex- exterior is I'm not going to let you trust me because you'll just do something. Like I'll just I'm not worth anything to you or whatever. It just reminds me of Ellie. Um, and I feel like like that even that whole and that sort of translates into the way that she reacts to things. Like the first time she sees a dragon and she actually reacts like a human would of like oh my god is that a what the hell and that kind of stuff and there's way more genuine like reactions to because I always find most characters in Isekai stories react as if everything's completely fine like other and almost react like when she says oh, I guess that's what I do now right that comes way after she's swore up a storm and she's so annoyed that she's there and she's banging the cuff off the wall going get the f off me like that's a more realistic reaction to someone just if you randomly appeared in like Narnia yeah. you'd be like what the hell is going on I just find that they they at least go for that in a way that a lot of other characters don't um, and that whole idea of you know super light dialogue constantly is actually what Chai is in Hi-Fi, in Hi-Fi Rush yeah um, to me anyway there's like there's a little bit more of like a so stupid to say like it's so much of a as more of a grounding to Frey because at <laughs> least she's sort of aware of stuff and she's just saying like well that's dumb that's stupid um, or like there's a boss who talks to her in rhyme and she's like and she there's a bit where she waits for a sec to reply and she's like if you're gonna rhyme this entire time just kill me right now right and it's like I quite like that like, I can totally go with that. Right, I'm going to say... Do it. I'm going to toot my own horn toot. right now, because as you alluded to uh, about five minutes ago, yes. I was right. The yes. very first prediction that I made on this podcast of the new year was that you would have to buy Forspoken <laughs> in its opening week to uh, know what was going on with it, to have an opinion on it, to know what the crack was. I did need to know. So, to see you now, Monday, January 30th, Forspoken bought yeah. two hours into the story, yeah. and you're actually enjoying it. Man. Well, that's that's maybe where we differ. Carry on. Magnifique. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. I think it's way better than it's getting a reputation for. The gameplay is quite messy. You can definitely tell it's the Final Fantasy 15 engine and mm. the same team, Luminous Productions, um, because Final Fantasy 15 was very floaty, especially with its evasion mechanics. Um, that's the stuff where you go like, oh, this is quite ropey. Um, there's a big fight against the dragon that you do twice at the beginning that is quite ropey. Um, but... Like it's it's just way better than people think it is, and I think if you like the mechanics, if you like the approach that they they're going for, um, just watch an opening of it. Watch the first hour or so. You'll definitely get a feel for the way they're grounding the character that doesn't come across in the memes um, at all. Obviously, it's a meme, hmm. but like still, I just think there's more to it, and I think I just always want to give everything a fair shake. And I'm just like, it's not it, it's not deserving of the absolute outright hatred. There is a character there. Yeah. They are trying to go for something. Um, and Cuff as well, like, I can't defend him that much, but I get why that that voice is like a stuffy old, maybe thousand-year-old relic who is just like, can you just, can we just get on with this? Like, he doesn't want to be there either, and whatever that thing is doesn't know why it's a Cuff either, so, like, whatever. Um, it is crappy doing the the, uh, the Forspoken Defense Force, but I just feel like <laughs> at some point it is being overheated. I just want to flag that That's as, it, a, as a, a more worthwhile thing than absolute garbage. Why That's my I, line Because it. it's like, listen, even with the somewhat glowing recommendation you've just given the grounding and the characters there I I still know it's not for me you Mm. know what I mean but a game can just not be for you but it maybe can be for someone and I think that that person will always be me (laughs) I will always pick up every last thing It, it sucks to see a game even a not very good game be like treated as if it's the worst thing mm. ever made like the complete you know antithesis of creation where it seems like even though this game might not get everything right it yeah. in fact gets a lot wrong there, there's still like some soul to it and that's the biggest surprise for me and that's mm. why I don't want to hate it too much because you can tell that at least like the actress you know that she was responding yeah. to people on I think it was on Twitter or something mm. about how you know she was buzzing this game finally came out it's clear that you know some people involved somewhere mm. 
really were passionate about it, and that does seem like it comes through here and there, like you mentioned. Mm. And and I don't think you can necessarily completely hate a game like that. No, I just I think that like yeah, it's just one of those things where I just I just needed to see it for myself, see the context for myself, see how it plays out, and I just feel like it's more. It's a fascinating. It's just fascinating, like the way the marketing rolled out, the fact that we are all as a culture very aware of MCU slash Whedon esque dialogue or whatever you want to call that quippy style, lining up with this big sort of new first party game. Or sorry, second party game. No third party because it's Square Enix. Um, Already on PlayStation though, it's like the first major PlayStation exclusive of the year. And then the way the marketing rolled out, the the gamble that that marketing department took with let's take the most MCU style line Mm. and front the game with it. And everyone hates it because of that, even though that line isn't, like it's in the game, but it's not in that scene. Like that bit when she first discovers the cuff, she's trying to get it off her and she's swearing at it and everything else. So like that whole thing is just fascinating. I, I find it it's just a hell of a curio for right now in 2023 in terms of where gaming marketing is at or entertainment marketing is at. And then the reality of what the game actually is. Yeah. And just, like I said, I always want to give something a fair shake. So I'm like, well, there is something here. So don't spend 60, 70 no. pounds on it. By no. the love of God, don't do what I did. But um, but just know that it's stronger than you might think. Yes. And maybe check out some footage. Maybe um, yes. one of those games, I was going to say, maybe one of those games where you like look back in a few months' time, it's heavily discounted. You jump in, you oh, think, why not? Listen, why not? Maybe today's the day for Forspoken. Let's maybe give it a try. they fixed the performance mode so it's not 720p. It's that 60 bad. FPS. It's terrible. Mm. Very blurry. I take everything back that I just said. Me too, maybe, to be honest. Maybe I will hate it. Yeah, I think I do. I, uh, I spent a lot of time going between all three graphics modes just squinting going what who why okay, okay that one's not as blurry but that means it runs in less frames i hate it i'm gonna slag it off again now because i hate games <laughs> that give me like five different graphics options yeah and the game looks bad anyway saints row was a big bloody <laughs> pile <laughs> i'm trying to not to swear horror story for yes. that like it gave you so many different options in each one didn't made it look no. even worse somehow because the core of it like the art style was bad the tech was bad what and it's like just what I need is when you go on the menus for any of these games, when I'm like cycling through them, I shouldn't have to unpause and then pan the camera and then look around and try, okay, if I zoom, okay, that, okay, there's a reflection there now that wasn't there before, right? Okay, like, can you not just give me reference photos on the menu? I know that obviously some of it frame rate wise, it's a feel, but like, and they can say that as a disclaimer, but give me graphics side by sides. Like I shouldn't have to be on Google trying to find out which is best and okay, what's most people going with? Because this game has a 120 Hertz uh, toggle as well, which affects the other three modes. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I should have it in quality mode with the 120 hertz thing but then it's not 120 frames because it's trying to prioritize quality i just where are we as a species (laughs) that this is where we are in gaming um i'll tell you where we are it's monday that's where we are right now we're in a little studio for the wind up because i've been scott tailford you've been josh brown always a pleasure scott tailford always a pleasure to be heard by all of you and we'll catch you next week bye Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course. And I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.